Good, good. If you have a Bible today, why don't you get that out? Or a Bible app on your phone. Find with me the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. I started a, a new series a couple weeks ago called Kingdom Rules. Now, if you're wondering whether I mean kingdom rules or kingdom rules, yes, I do mean both of those. And so, kingdom rules. This is so important. I want to read again from Matthew 6, what we read last week, verse 33. Jesus said here, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. That's a simple formula. If you can do math. This is how you get stuff added to your life. The things that you need, the things that you want, physical things. This is the formula in God's realm. And it simply goes to this. If you'll seek this, you'll get this. Yeah, everyone do that math? That's not too hard. Seek this, you get this. The what is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then He stands behind this promise and says, I'm going to get to you everything else you need in life. So that's easily read, I think easily understood. Lived out seems to be a challenge sometimes, but that's why we're working on it. Uh, This same verse in the Passion Translation reads, so above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and His righteousness, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So what Jesus calls less important is what often we think is more important. We think, I have to eat, I have to have a house, I have to have clothing, I have to have natural things. No, here's the the brain shift. What I have to have is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if I will agree with Him in that regard and say, that's a must, everything else is secondary then he guarantees the secondary stuff to come in abundance. But if I don't get that base principle, it's the found in my life that I'm going to struggle with the stuff. This is, this is a bigger problem than a lot of people realize. It's a bigger problem to a lot of Christians than they realize. They think, I just have financial problems. I need financial advice. Well, you might, but... Are you seeking first the kingdom? Well, I just have marriage problems. Well, maybe you have a seeking first the kingdom problem. Maybe everything else is going to be hard to solve until you get that right. I mean, I don't know how many people would be overly excited if they came to us and said, I'm really, I'm behind on my payments. I'm behind on my bills. I really have financial help. Can you help me? And we say, absolutely. Matthew 6.33. No, that's not what I meant. What I mean is I have like financial troubles. I know, I know. You want me to write it down? Matthew 6, 33. Because that's more powerful than anything else. And I don't mean by that it's never, it's always wrong to help people in a tangible financial way. Uh, We do that for each other and as the Lord leads us. But I'm saying this principle supersedes any natural help we can give. Any natural help is temporary. This is permanent. And this has the backing of heaven. This is very, very powerful. And so it's the foundation for success in life. Even in, in uh, you know, Christian circles, church, the church world, people say, well, if you need more, you need to give more. And again, I don't have any problem with that. I can, do the, I can read the sowing and reaping scriptures. 
You know, I know those principles, but sometimes people can be givers and do it with a motive other than seeking first the kingdom. But if you're seeking first the, giving, the, the kingdom, giving is going to be a part of that. So the answer is not always give more. It's arrange the, in your heart the order of, of importance of what really matters the most. Praise God. So because of this, this principle, it would behoove us, like that word, behoove, uh, to n- understand, to know what the kingdom of God is and not just assume because we know the phrase uh, that we understand the concepts, the principles behind it. Um, if I know what it is, then I, I can know whether I'm seeking it or not. Right. If I don't know what it is and say, oh, well, I'm doing that, that, that verse in Matthew 6. I'm totally doing it. Well, explain to me what the kingdom of God is, then we'll see. And if we find that we lack understanding or are misguided in our seeking, then it solves a major problem in our lives that is foundation for success in every other area. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, so if we seek first the kingdom, now let me just restate, everything else is in the kingdom. Everything else is included. If I get the kingdom, I get everything else. If I get the things, I don't get the kingdom. So it makes logical sense to seek the thing that has everything else in it. Right. It's, it's like if you, if you need $10 and someone gives you a 20, take it. <laughs> well, no, that's wrong because I need 10, not 20. The 10 is in the 20. <laughs> take the 20. And we can become satisfied with our 10s because that's what we're seeking. No, go for the gusto. <laughs> Go for the whole kingdom. Seek that. And then it's got all the tens in there. Okay. So God's plan for mankind, human beings, was that we have a kingdom, not a religion. Jesus didn't come preaching religion. He came preaching the kingdom of God. And that's very clear in Scripture, but we sometimes change that. Uh, Sometimes people might ask, even in response to me saying that last week, is... Well, didn't Jesus come to establish Christianity? Wasn't that one of his goals, establish Christianity? I would just simply have to step back and say, well, what do you mean by that? Did he come to establish the religion of Christianity? No, he didn't. He never said that. In fact, even the word Christian was not something Jesus said, go out and make everyone Christians. That was a word that was applied to those who had received him and were followers of of the Lord. Other people started calling him Christian. Now, I don't have any problem with that word. I kind of like it because it's Christian. Christ means the anointed one. It speaks, there's there's a lot of revelation in the word. I like it. I call myself a Christian. But when you say, uh, didn't Jesus come to establish Christianity as a religion? No, he didn't. that's, That's just really not there. In Scripture, in fact, most of us realize this, that someone can become a religious Christian and not even be saved. There's a big difference between associating yourself with an organization or even a set of beliefs, some principles, and saying, I'm now a Christian. And then we usually hyphenate it with a denomination or some other group. I'm a Christian or this kind of Christian. Well, who cares? Who cares? 
I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, are you saved? Have you been born again? Have you received eternal life as a gift from your creator? Because that's really the definition that matters. Not do you associate religiously with a certain group or have certain religious practices or habits in your life. Again, they may be good or not good, but this is the main thing that matters. Turn with me, if you would, to another verse uh, in, in the book of Luke. A couple books to the right. In Luke, Jesus addressed a question about the kingdom of God. Luke 17 is where we want. Addressed a question about the kingdom of God. And it's very revealing as to how God thinks, which is how we are to think. In, in Luke 17... Verse 20, it reads, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, which were the most religious people of their time, you could say, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. That's interesting. They had something physical in mind. They're thinking, you got, you know, Rome and you've got... Israel kingdoms, and when's the kingdom of God coming? They're, they think, I'm going to see this coming. It's going to be a physical kingdom on earth. He said it doesn't come like that. It doesn't come where you can observe it, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. This is key to understanding what God wants to do in our lives. It is not always about outward observation, but about an inward working of His Spirit. Some translations read this, the kingdom of God is in your midst, which, if that's correct, it would probably be referring to Jesus Himself standing there as the, as the kingdom of God in manifestation. But yet he said it doesn't come with observation. So I, I lean more towards the translation of it's within you. It's, it's present now. How, how is it present? Inside of everyone who has received the king. When you receive the king, his rulership and so forth in your life, we could say, according to Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. So I want the kingdom. You can have the kingdom in your own life. And, and really what that has to do with is the king's rule in your own heart. Okay. Contrast a little bit Old Testament, New Testament. If you don't know, the Bible kind of has a very clear delineation between two parts. There's an old and a new, a first, a second. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that's where you have the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, someone's relationship with God, if you will, or following Him was more outside in. It was more about following these rules, obeying these laws, observing these ceremonial things, these sacrifices. It was, it was outward in nature where in the new covenant, since Jesus was raised from the dead, everything moved in. Okay. In other words, He wrote His law on our hearts. Uh, his Spirit abides in the individual. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't reside on anybody except for a few 
individuals like prophets. New Testament, he comes and lives in every believer and remains forever, okay? And his guidance is inward. Uh, Galatians 5, uh, 18 reads, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if I have his Spirit guiding me from within, I don't need laws. You might say, I don't need a bunch of religion." That's not how we live is outside in. We live inside out. He changes us. Being saved or the new birth, how many know it's not a new body? It's not a new mind. It's not a new hair color. It's not a new, it is a new spirit. Your spirit is made alive. Your spirit is born again. God takes up residence inwardly. To, so our relationship with God stems from the inside out. In essence, we could say, that's the kingdom of God. I'm praying for the kingdom of God to come. Pray this after me. <laughs> Let me lead you in a salvation prayer, and the kingdom of God will come inside of you. Praise God. Now, if ever someone is a king, they are also a lord. God is known and revealed with both terms throughout Scripture. Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word Adonai, translated Lord, um, is all over the place. God was called Lord in the New Covenant now. The way that someone gets saved, remember Romans 10, 9, says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth what? That he's Lord. There's something about the word Lord that is key to making everything work. You get into God's kingdom by saying Lord Jesus. Lord, not just Jesus, not just, you know, healer Jesus, not just great Jesus, mighty Jesus, Lord Jesus, okay? And so a Lord is someone who's supreme in authority, someone we could say master, we could use different words like that when you look up the word and see what it means. See, in our culture, we're not super familiar with the word Lord. We say it in church, Lord Jesus, and, and, we think, and then we, we stop, ever stop and thought, what does that even mean? Lord, that's a strange word. Well, it's somewhat strange to us because we don't have lords in our government. With some, they grow up in that culture, that mentality. I think the closest thing we get to it is landlords. <laughs> right? And, and there's something to that. If you if you rent a house or an apartment, you have a landlord. Well, who is the landlord? It's the owner or the owner's representative possibly. But it's the person who owns that, that, that property. So we can say this, the Lord is the owner of property. The Lord owns things, okay? In a kingdom, there has to be a king or it's just a dumb, <laughs> right? Kingdom, then the king has to have certain things to make, it, to make him a king. He has to have, remember there's multiple words that come off the word dumb, D-O-M. One of them is dominion, okay? There, that, that speaks to authority. It speaks to rule. Um, but there also is the word domain. 
And that speaks to a territory. That speaks to an area, a realm in which he exercises that authority. So the king has to own something and the king has to have rulership there. That's what makes a kingdom. Say, well, what does the king becoming thus a lord, the lord is the owner, the king is also a lord, what does he own in this kingdom, in the kingdom of God, what does he own? Isn't that a good question? Yeah. Has to own something or is not a lord. Yep. Have you ever heard of people buying little plots of land in Scotland? You can buy like little, like an inch or something. <laughs> and, th and they do that because then they get a certificate and they're called lord. <laughs> they want to have that on their wall. Graduated from this school. Lord <laughs> of this property, okay? And that's, that's in essence what it means. But a Lord then owns everything in his kingdom. If God is the Lord, that means he owns everything. That mentality should be distinguished from government types that we're familiar with. Uh, we have presidents, right? The presidents don't own anything. They serve a function, a, a position in our government, they don't own the United States. Prime ministers don't own their countries. Okay? When someone becomes king, they are lords. They own the place. That's their realm. So when we think of God, it has to be, has to be distinguished from uh, these other systems, these other government types. And if I'm in the kingdom of God, here's something I've got to get straight in my mind, is he owns everything. So if say, I don't really like that. I mean, I don't own anything. This is actually good news. Remember, we serve a righteous, loving, benevolent king. That's the perfect government. If you could have that, and we do in God's kingdom. Okay? Say, well, that could be dangerous. He could take everything. There's no fear in this kingdom. Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give it all to you. He wants to give you the kingdom. Nevertheless, because of his position, he retains ownership. All right. If he's the owner, then he can give it to anyone he wants at any time. Yes. Now, if anyone hears that in a negative way, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm about to get your stuff. <laughs> because I hear that in a positive way. Because I think if I need something and my God, my king owns it all, I'm set. I'm not seeking to build my own kingdom anyway. So if I need some stuff for, for my usage, for my enjoyment, for expanding his kingdom, he owns everything. And if he owns everything, I have access. For example, this is very real to, to me right now, and hopefully for all of us, our church needs more property. Preferably adjacent to us. Say, why are you smiling? Because I know who owns it all. <laughs> oh, say, no, there's companies around us. They own these properties. Do they? <laughs> Come on. Come on. When I read this correctly, I'm thinking, I think the Lord owns all of it. <laughs> and if he does, then I'm just going to put my trust in him to provide for me, for us, what we need, and he can shift things around any way that he wants. Amen. And so we're not going to do without. 
will be well supplied. And that's true for you as an individual. It's true for us as a, as a church. He owns it all. This should give us great confidence in our future. We'll never be denied because the king takes no pleasure in his citizens going without. Or, or, li or living with the worst in, in town. In the lowest spot. No, you serve the king who owns everything. He's not reserved the lowest place for you. This should give us confidence in his provision. Listen to these verses. Uh, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. They belong, it belongs to the Lord. Haggai 2, 8 reads, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Why is he telling us that? So we don't touch it? No. I mean, if you go back to the book of Genesis, one of the first things he told Adam was where the gold was. He's telling him, this is the things I've made for you. And by the way, there's this land over here. That's where the gold is. Why did the Lord tell him that if he didn't want him to have any of it? I always find it interesting that he told Adam where the gold was before Eve showed up. Now, that's not to keep it away from her. That's because he knew she would like it. Go get you some of that gold. There's someone coming that you might want to, you know, string some around her neck. But God told people where this good stuff was. Why? He is the king. And we are citizens of his kingdom. Amen. There was an event uh, in, G with, in Jesus' time, in his ministry. Uh, you might remember the triumphal entry uh, where he rode and everyone put down the, the palm branches and said Hosanna and, and, and so forth. Prior to that, Jesus knew this was about to happen, this triumphant entry, and he needed transportation. You remember that time? So he sent a couple of his disciples in to get, a tra get some transportation, which was donkey, of course. Uh, listen to this. I'll just read it to you. Uh, Mark 11, verse 2. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered, you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat, on which no one has ever sat. You know what that is? That's called uh, showroom. <laughs> That's a new car. Yeah. He said, I want the new one. I don't want a used one. He said, loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord, the who? The Lord. the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went in their way, found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, and they, they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to him, what are you doing? Loosing the colt. And they spoke to him just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Now, there's no indication that this was prearranged, that he put in a, you know, he got online and rented out the colt for the day. There's no indication. He just, it seems to me, Jesus is exercising lordship. He is the Lord, and there's a colt, and I need it, so I'll take it. 
And they went, and I don't know what these guys thought. If it, maybe it was just divine influence upon their heart to give or to not oppose or stand in the way. And maybe it was the use of the language. The Lord needs it. Oh, the owner needs this. Was Jesus the owner? Ultimately, he was. Ultimately, he was the owner of that colt. So bring it on over, and they let him go. Again, this goes to, I'm thinking, there's no problem with God getting things to us. Sometimes we want to stress and worry and try. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this and how I'm going to accomplish this. He's the Lord. He owns it all and he loves you. And he's for you and not against you. This should build great confidence in our hearts that says everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to come together. My God owns everything. And the more faithful I am, the more he will entrust into my hands. If he can trust me with his stuff, he'll give me more of his stuff. Yeah. Say, for what? For whatever he says or for my enjoyment. It's just, well, I'm in his kingdom. So there is a a mentality of, of, of Jesus being Lord, owner, that needs to be adopted by us. And this is not only concerning cults, uh, not only concerning uh, land, but concerning our very own selves. This is something that most of us have already committed to, but we might need to be reminded of that commitment, of that place we hold. And I want you to look at one more passage today. It's, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is where Paul wrote very specifically about who owns what when he said in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All right. So some call that the smallest sin in the Bible. Flee fornication. Never mind. It's a delayed moan. <laughs> it's worthy of a moan, though, I know. Sorry, let's get back. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside of the, is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. This is interesting language. Your body is not your body. That's what he's saying. He uses the language, your body. Then he says, it's not really yours. (laughs) You know that body that's yours? You know your your body? Not yours. (laughs) He said, you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. What was that price? Million bucks? That was the blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus was spilled, was spent for us. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What does he own? My body 
and my spirit. He said, those things belong to him. This is a very important kingdom rule. If I am going to seek first the kingdom of God, this is a part of the kingdom and how it works. God owns everything, including me. Say, that sounds like slavery. This was entered into voluntarily. He is not taking us and just forcing us to do his bidding, but rather he invited us and drew us into a relationship of love with him where he becomes our full supply, our protection, our, our sustenance. Everything we could want or desire was in him. But we did make a trade. I'll take forgiveness and salvation and eternal life and all your many blessings. And my part of this equation is I bow my knee and I confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. What am I saying? You're, you have purchased me and I now belong to you. Amen. See, the language used frequently by people who don't know this, they, they think this way. This is my body. I can do whatever I want with my body. Well, not if you're a believer. You, you, it's not your body anymore. Well, as long as I don't hurt anyone else, I should be able to do whatever I want with my body. As long as I'm not interfering in, in, into your life, I can do whatever I want with my body. Well, again, not if you're a believer, not if you're a Christian. You're, if you're a Christian, your body is no longer your body. You have traded, and it's a pretty good trade. <laughs> you have traded everything for his rule in your own life. His kingdom has come, and now he is king and lord, and you live with this question. How can I glorify him with this body that belongs to him? In my spirit, in my body, how can I glorify him? And I tell you, that's going to curb some of our behavior, by the way. It's supposed to. It really is. It is for our benefit, but this is, the, this is where we have surrendered our personal preferences to his lordship. If that makes anyone nervous, you probably don't know who you're serving, how good he is, how loving and gracious he is. But it might be that you're thinking, yeah, there's some things I like and I'm going to have to change this if I'm going to really receive this. That's, that's true. That's true. But you, if you're, again, let me say this, if you're already a Christian, you already gave him your word that you would. Remember that prayer? Jesus is Lord. Say, I didn't know it meant that, though. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> you want to give it up? <laughs> I'm guessing you're going to say, no, no, I don't really want to give him up. This is too good. Okay, then go all in with this so that you can seek first the kingdom of God and understand what that means, and everything will start clicking for you. Amen. Instead of being half-hearted, half-committed, he's the Lord of things when I agree with him. Yep, Hallelujah. <laughs> See, the Lord defines us now. Well, I'm a, no, you're whatever God says you are. Well, my preference is, no, stop it. You are whatever he says you are. That's your faith. 
That's your commitment. He gets to define me. He gets to guide me. I am who he says I am. And by the way, again, there's nothing negative in that. You ever have the thought that in heaven you might miss out on some things from down here? You ever thought, in heaven, man, or, I mean, because what is, like, what do things look like? I know many people think this. I thought this. I don't want, <laughs> my kids have thought this. I don't want Jesus to come back before I get married. <laughs> Especially if you're already living for the Lord, you're not, you know, you're not doing certain things. Lord, don't come back quite yet. <laughs> However, it, it is a, a misnomer to think that anyone for a second, for a millisecond, will be in heaven thinking, it was a little bit better on earth. <laughs> we will lack zero, nothing, nada. We won't yearn for, the, for a half sinful life in a fallen world for even a second. And I can't explain everything and how everything's going to work, but I tell you this, no one's going to miss out on anything. Making Jesus your Lord, ooh, super smart. Really. But what we should do here and now is acknowledge this ownership, because how can I seek first the kingdom if I don't even, you know, recognize what it, it means for him to be Lord of my life? And I should seek to glorify Him in, in all my being. Listen to these verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So if you're ever wondering, is it okay? Is God okay with this? Is it okay for a Christian to act this way? Well, go ahead and do it. And in the middle of it, say, Lord, I'm doing this for your glory. <laughs> if your heart gives you trouble with that, you might want to quit. <laughs> But if you can be sincere and say, for the Lord's glory, we're, we're doing this, then, then I think you're in the clear. But Jesus made this statement, Luke 6, 46. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do the things that I say? It's really a strong statement that might indict some of us. We say, Lord, we sing it. He is Lord. We say it, Lord Jesus. And again, we're using language that might have just become Christianese. It's not. It's biblical, but we might have turned it into that. It's just language. We say, Lord, and we don't have a clue what it means. But if we will back up and say, oh, this means he owns. I've given him the reins in my life. And when I say, Lord Jesus, and I'm doing something that I know is not glorifying to him at the same time, it should cause conflict where we make adjustments. Not because he's not, he's not knocking us down. He's not you know, a hard taskmaster, and no, he loves us, but this is the way this relationship works, and he wants it to work for you. We submit everything to him. It changes our behavior. Our selective obedience probably re reveals that we don't really know what a Lord is. We don't know what it means for him to be the Lord of our lives. If he truly is, whatever he says, there is only one answer. And that answer is yes. Amen. So I didn't know 
I didn't know it worked that way. I don't have any choices in the regard. Yes, you have a choice to answer yes <laughs> with whatever he says. Now, you'll find his, his ways are not burdensome. His requirements are fully graced by him and provided by him. But if we will settle this in our hearts, if I'm going to live in this kingdom the way he intended, his design, his concept of, of full life and full living, then my answer is yes. If I want to rule and reign in this life, I have first got to allow him to rule and reign in me. His kingdom is in us first, and then we live as an extension of his dominion. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you can, say it with me. Say, say I'm going to do it. I'm going to live for him. I give him that place. No one else can have it. But Jesus is Lord. Hey, let's pray today. Father, thank you for working inside of each and every one of us today, revealing your kingdom, revealing your ways, revealing your awesomeness, your greatness, your mighty power, your provision. I thank you, Lord, nothing is too difficult for you and nothing is outside of your reach. And so we trust you. We rely on you. We count on you in all matters to supply, to provide, to even define our very lives. And we give you the right to do so. Again, we say Jesus is Lord.